Why are you here today? And a duh question probably, right? Oh, Pastor, why are, what do you mean why we're here today? We come to church. We come to church every Sunday. Well, why do you go to church? Well, Pastor, I grew up going to church. It's the right thing to do. You go to church on Sunday mornings. It just helps you get focused. Well, why do you go to church? And why do we have church? Why are you here? Seems like a really simple question. But the answers that all of us would give this morning are all over the map, if we were honest. Some of us are here this morning because we had a bad week. And we, we just need an escape hatch, something that's going to kind of move our thoughts from what they have been on. Some of us are here this morning because our spouse brought us. And just go because it's good. We like our spouse. Therefore, we like what our spouse likes. Some of us are here this morning because this is what you grew up doing. And it's a habit, a good habit, but it's, it's a habit. Some of you are here this morning because you're looking for a little guidance from God's Word. you got something going on, and you're like, I just need some teaching around this certain subject. We're here, if we're honest, for a bundle of different reasons. The driving factor for all of us is a lot of different reasons. So let's take it one step deeper then. Why do we even have this gathering? Not why are you here, but why do we even have this gathering that we call church? Church isn't a building. The word church actually means gathering of people. Church in Greek is ecclesia. Ecclesia is group of people gathering together. So why have church? We have church really for one purpose, to praise God. We gather together every single week. We have the gathering. The reason we organize the gathering, the way we plan the gathering is for one purpose, to bring God praise. Some of you are like, well, Pastor, but we spent 35 minutes listening to you. You didn't plan very well. Well, we praise God in song. We praise God in listening. Listening is praising God. You honor God by listening to the message that he brings from his word. You honor God by going to him in prayer and acknowledging different things that are going on in our lives. There's a variety of ways that we praise God. But we gather on Sundays for one purpose, praise God. Or in other words, to give God honor. Well, praise is something that's common to all of us. All of us, even people outside of these walls, praise. We praise our children. We say, great job. We praise our coworkers. Oh, fabulous idea. Great job on that project. We know what it is to praise. Well, this morning when I took a few minutes at the Bible and say, what does the Bible say about praise? And how does that guide our time of praise? So I'm going to look at a couple of different scripture passages this morning. really encourage you to take notes today, and I'll just kind of throw out a couple of phrases that I think are important for us to understand. The first thing is this. Praise is exalting someone else. Praise is exalting someone else. That's in the definition of praise. To praise is to say to someone or something, you're great. You're awesome. So praise means the focus isn't on you. Sunday mornings is not about you. Praise is not about you. If it's about us, guess what? We're not praising. We're simply lifting up self. This last week, I was listening to a politician introduce another politician for a, for a political rally, and as they were introducing the other politician, you know, the goal is what? Make the politician you're introducing look good. That's who everybody's there to see. But the politician introducing didn't talk about the other politician. The politician just talked about himself the whole time and about his achievements. I think he forgot 
that the one that he was introducing is, is way far greater. And the goal is what? Heap praises on that one because that's who they're all here to see. When we praise, that's our job, is to say, God, you are great. Not talk about ourselves. So when we gather on Sunday morning, there is a danger, and we're on a very slippery slope. I want to warn us, is that sometimes there's too much focus on self. So this is why I, I watch songs that we sing very carefully. There's some great songs on Life 96.5, if you listen to that, or a Christian radio station. Some of those songs, though, are not worship songs. There's nothing wrong with the songs, but they're not worship songs. They're an individual just singing about themselves and what's going on in their life story. Nothing wrong with that at all. But that's not what we gather to do on Sunday morning. We don't gather together to sing about ourselves, our self-exaltation. We gather to sing about God. And so some of our songs... We sing about God, and then it has I in it, but it's expressing a response to what we've sang about God. So I give my heart to Jesus. I surrender all. We're expressing what we should be doing in response to who God is. All of our songs should sing about God to God or our response that the Scriptures dictate. We have to be very careful not to exalt self. It's not about coming and expressing how I'm feeling or how I should feel. No, no, no. It's about giving God praise. So praise is exalting God. The second element of praise that we have to keep in mind is that praise is a response. Whenever you praise someone, what are you doing? You're responding to something they did. If a coworker does, has to do something for you to say, hey, great job. A, a team has to win for you to what? Oh, yes, great job. I mean, when you lose, not every People lose. What do you do? The crowd doesn't stand up and go, yes, more of that. You're great. You, you say you're great when what? Something has been done. Praise is a response. So if you have your Bible, open up to Psalm 96. Psalm 96. We could pick a bundle of different examples, but we're going to look at Psalm 96. Psalm 96, verse 1. Psalm 96, verse 1. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord. Bless his name. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. It's pretty simple. He's just saying, hey, what? Give God glory. Otherwise, say, say, God, you're great. God, you are great. That's what he's saying to do. Now look at why. Verse 4. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For all gods of the peoples are worthless idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. So it, the psalmist is saying this, hey, ascribe glory to the Lord. Why? Because he deserves it because of who he is. He's great. He's to be feared above all else. He has all of the splendor and majesty in his room. Now this is important to recognize. Splendor and majesty are before him. Whether you show up here or not, God has splendor and majesty before him. Whether you ascribe God's splendor and majesty, he's got it all already. So if you leave on a Sunday morning and you say, geez, I just didn't feel like I had much going on in there today. Guess what? That doesn't determine whether if God had splendor or majesty. God's got plenty already. He's got all of it. It's a matter of if we're going to ascribe it to him. We're going to basically tell him what he already has. Say, hey, you are this. 
So a praise is a response. That means God says something about himself, or God makes something known of what he's done, and then people respond by saying, God, you are fabulous. So if you read the Psalms, what you see is that you see a pattern, a pattern of what? Give glory to God because of I've been delivered, or because of God has done this. So praise is a response. Praise is exalting someone or something. Praise is a response. And in Christian community, at church, praise is a response to biblical revelation. That which is in here is telling us who God is or what God has done, and we're responding. The third thing of praise is this. God desires praise from our whole being. God desires praise from our whole being. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 15. If you have your Bible, Matthew 15 or your phone, Matthew 15 is a verse that should cause us really to tremble. It's frightening on one hand and challenging. Matthew 15, Jesus is talking to the religious leaders. And he's saying, hey, get your act together. you got all these rules, and some of the rules don't even match the original command. So you're just doing all this stuff. So Jesus says to the religious leaders, Matthew 15, verse 8 and 9. And here Jesus is quoting the prophet Isaiah. And Jesus is saying, hey, what Isaiah said about you is actually true. And it's, it's not very nice. Matthew 15, 8 and 9, he says this. This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. How would you like to hear that as someone who's been a member of a church for 75 years? Your worship for the last 75 years has been in vain. Jesus is saying that to the religious leaders. These are people that gather every single Saturday, not just not for an hour. They gather every single Saturday for multiple hours. Then they gather also for seven-day festivals. These are people that they've sung all the songs. They've listened to all of the stories about Jonah and King David from the Old Testament. They know it. They have it memorized. And Jesus still says to them, you can move your lips, but there's nothing coming. It's in vain. Because Jesus desires that praise flows from our inner being, our heart, that it's not just outward action. Well, what does it mean to, to praise God from our heart, not just go through the motions? Now turn your Bible to Colossians 3.17, where we started. Colossians 3.17. You get a simple verse. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Basically, he's saying this, hey, honor God in everything that you do. In words or deeds or anything and everything, honor God. So when he says all of our heart, he wants worship to flow from our heart, what he's saying is he wants a whole life to honor God. The idea that I can show up on a Sunday morning, flip a switch and say, God, I'm going to praise you for the next hour, and then leave, and then the next six days do whatever I want. You didn't praise for an hour. You went through some motions for an hour. How small of a view of God do we have? If we think God doesn't see what's going on the other six days, and just sees the one hour that we're gathered here. That's foolishness. God knows it all. God sees right through anything. That's why he wants us to come and express on Sunday morning, corporately as a group of people, that which is an everyday reality in our lives. 
that I'm trying to honor Jesus in everything that I do. And then on Sunday mornings, I come and I sing about it, I listen about it, I pray about it. I'm bringing Jesus honor. Praise is to flow from our heart. It's to be all of our being. Praise is exalting God. Praise is a response to who God is and what God has done. Praise is to flow from our hearts. We can't, we can't kid God. He knows what's going on. So that's what God wants. God wants us to praise Him. Well, now the question becomes, how? How should we praise God? Well, look with me in Colossians 3, 16. He says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. This is the only sentence in the whole letter that gives any direction on how people are to gather together as the church. There's no direction. And if you read the rest of the New Testament, you'd find some more sentences, but not much more. So it's kind of like, okay, Jesus, could you left us a little bit more? Let's look at this closely, what he says. He says, sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Now, be careful. Don't go too fast here, because some of you are now going, that's right, that's right. We've got to get some of those hymns back in here. We've got some of those hymns back. It says right here, Colossians 3.16, sing hymns. And some of you are like, oh, hey, that 9 o'clock service, they got hymns, but they don't have spiritual songs. They just have hymns. Let's think for a second of what he's saying here. Okay, let's define each one because we're in 2016. We're in 2016, a long ways after this was written, okay? So what does he mean? Psalms, it says sing psalms. What he means there is this. He's saying sing those Hebrew things, which we have as the psalm in our Bible. Sing those writings that were accompanied by a stringed instrument. So psalms were originally written as a stringed instrument, a person just singing what God had done in their life. Basically a declaration of saying, God delivered me, this is who God is, now I give God praise. So it's like a personal deliverance psalm. So Psalm 23 is a prime example. I walk through the valley of the shadow of the death, you know, and it has the enemies in the psalm. It's really a, a deliver, it's a declaration of deliverance of, of God's promise that he's going to deliver. So he's saying, hey, sing those things. Get your stringed instrument, which they would have heard as psalm, and then sing it. And he says, hymn. A hymn would have been a human composition. So this is not under the power of the Holy Spirit. This would have been a human composition of saying, writing something about who God is or what God has done so that God is praised. So a hymn to them would have been maybe a small paragraph that they would sing. So turn in your Bible to Colossians 1, verse 15. Colossians 1, 15 through 20. What you have here is thought through tradition that 15 through 20 is one of the first hymns that the early church sung. So that, look at these words. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. All it is is it's words about who God is and what God has done. That's what a hymn is. So, a hymn isn't something written in 1545. A hymn is not something written in 1925. A hymn is not something sung at the 9 o'clock service versus the 1030 service. A hymn has nothing to do with instrumentation, and it has nothing to do with authorship, and it has nothing to do with when it was written. A hymn is saying, I'm singing truths about who God is or what God has done for the purpose of bringing about praise. So this morning, we've probably sung some hymns. We've sung about God. The great I am. It won't be a hymn or what some people would label as hymns. But that's a hymn. So then a spiritual song says, 
psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. Now, this is where it gets a little bit wild. Okay, spiritual songs would have been spontaneous outbreaks of declaration of God's goodness or greatness. So literally, you would have been in a church, and someone would just start saying, God, you are awesome, worthy of all praise. The words weren't on a screen. The words weren't in a hymnal. The words weren't in a bulletin. It was just someone declaring God's greatness. It was a spontaneous expression of what the Holy Spirit was doing in the heart. This was very common because what? They didn't have a hymnal. They didn't have a projection screen. They got together in a home, maybe 10, 15 people. They'd maybe sing Colossians 1, 15 through 20, and then maybe the stringed instruments just playing, and people are just singing different things. Okay, to me, that sounds like chaos, thing, right? And I'm going, I got no interest in that because I've lost complete control. That's not going to work. But there's an element here of that, of saying that's fine to have that part, that we should be expressing spontaneously what the Holy Spirit's doing within us. That's not part of our tradition. Some of us aren't familiar with it. That doesn't make it right or wrong. If you go this afternoon to the International Outreach Church, they've got times where there's music playing and everybody's, I don't know what they're singing. But they're not all singing the same thing. I know that. They're just singing what's ever on their hearts and their minds. Nothing wrong with that at all. Now, I'm not saying we're going to do that tomorrow, or we're not going to do that. I'm just saying it does talk about it in Scripture that it's a way of praising God. So, he says, praise God. Psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. Outside of that, there's not a lot of help. So what are we going to do? How are we going to praise God? Since we started King of Glory, we've been having this conversation. How do we decide how we're going to praise God? Do we have piano? Do we have guitar? Do we have organ? Do we have cowbell? What do we have and how do we praise, praise God? We've had this conversation over and over and over again. We've been wrestling the last couple of months. We've got two different services that have two different styles, really. What we're going to do moving ahead is this summer we're going to have one service at 10 a.m. Nobody knows what that service is going to be. It might be one Sunday, me and a cowbell. We're singing a couple songs and sermon. That's it. Now, some of you are like, please tell me the date of that in advance thing, right? Well, another Sunday might look just like it does today. Another Sunday might look just like the night. Nobody knows what it's going to be week to week outside of myself. We're just going to gather every single Sunday at 10 a.m. during the summer and give God praise. Show up and give God praise. Then moving ahead after that, we do realize that we've got different desires. We've got people who desire to praise God in different ways, and there's nothing wrong with that. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to say, hey, at the moment, we can provide two different ways of praising God that appeal to two different groups within our congregation. So we're going to do that. Keep providing two different ways for people to praise God. And guess what else we're going to do? We're going to stop talking about it. Okay? This is the end of conversation. No more conversation about if we're going to offer a traditional and contemporary service. It's done. We're offering two different <laughs> styles of services. Thing. We're over. And until circumstances dictate otherwise, it's over and done with. We're going with it. We're going to provide the opportunity for people to give God praise. Now there's details to work out. Leadership's going to work out those details. And we're going to move forward as we work out those details. But I think we've made a mistake, and this really falls on my shoulders. I have not done a good job teaching or talking about this next item, about worship. How we des what we desire, why should we desire what we desire. All of us have different desires in here today about how we praise God. I want to I challenge you on two things. The first is this. You need to go somewhere 
where you can praise God freely. If what we decide in the style that we have at 9 or 10.30, you're uncomfortable with, go somewhere else. This might sound weird to hear at church. I'm all serious. Go somewhere else. I can give you a list of 10 churches today that have 10 different styles that preach from God's word. And if you're, I got no problem with that at all because guess what? The king of glory is a lot bigger than king of glory. And so therefore, I need you, not just I, but the church, this the city needs you going somewhere on Sunday morning where you're going and you're excited to arrive. Your neighbor, your neighbor needs you going somewhere on Sunday morning where you're like, I can't wait to get there. And if that means it's Memorial Lutheran, if that means it's Faith Baptist, if that means it's First Evangelical Free, all the power to you. We all have to go somewhere where I say, I want to be there because I want to give God praise. That's the first thing. The second thing is this. We've done a really bad job of talking about the worship service. Too often we've said the worship service is the front door to the church. Okay, the worship service is not the front door to the church. It's common nowadays to get a worship service, prepare it, and you're preparing it for people that are not here, unchurched people. If there were no unchurched people, guess what would still happen? There'd be a service every single week. Because church is for God. The gathering of people, God's people is for God. That's why we have a service, is to praise God. The worship service is not the front door to the church. You know what the front door to the church is? I am. You are. We are the front door to the church. We've got to get this convinced in our own hearts and our own minds. I am the front door to the church. Say it with me. I am the front door to the church. So here's how this works. I'm the front door. I'm ministering to people. I've got a list of five people that I'm praying for. That I'm, I'm saying, hey, I want God to bless these. I'm trying to build a relationship with them. As I'm building a relationship with them, as I'm sharing the gospel, this can be a two-month project. This can be a 25-year project. I'm just loving on that person. They're my neighbor. I love them. I'm telling them the gospel. And at some point, if it's appropriate, we've made it to the point where, hey, it's time for you to worship. Come worship with us. Here's where it all changes. Here's where we've been wrong is that I have to do what's in the best interest of my neighbor. Here's what we've done, is we've said, hey, I desire guitars and drums. They kind of like just the piano. That's fine. They can have the piano as long as I get what I want. That's called deferring. I get what I want. They can have what they want. The Christian life is completely different. The Christian life is one of preference. It goes like this. My neighbor wants this. It's not exactly what I want, but guess what? Because that's what my neighbor wants, now I want it. There's a big difference between saying, well, they can have it, than saying, I want it because it's in their best interest. So if I'm ministering to someone, and I tell them the gospel of Jesus Christ, and they say, I believe in Jesus, and they come to church with me, and they're like, this just isn't connecting with me. I'm having a hard time understanding this music. You know what you need to do? You say, let me help you find one that you can connect with. And then what do you need to do? You need to say, Hey, I'll like it too because you like it. Let's say you're ministering to a former Catholic, one who's disconnected from the church as a whole. And they come to know Jesus through you. They might connect best with our 9 o'clock service because it would be familiar to them. They might. You know what you might have to do? You might have to say, I'm going to go to the 9 o'clock service. Not just because I have to, because I want to. It's not a defer to them, but I'm going to prefer it because they prefer it. 
If you're trying to reach out to some young people, you got kids or you got grandkids, and you're kind of like, hey, I sure would like a little quieter in here. And so you're like, but I'll let them have what they want so they can have what they want. Okay, that's the wrong attitude. You should say this, I want what they want because of what they want, not just they can have it. So go to where you want until you're ministering to someone and then you've got to exercise preference of preferring what they prefer for their sake. You see the big difference here? When I first got married, um, we used to, obviously we cook all the time. We have food. Uh, as you're preparing for meals, this is the way meal planning used to go, and it still goes this way sometimes. Hey, what do you want for supper? Well, eh, Brussels sprouts and waffles or something. I'm going, Brussels sprouts? So, okay, I can make Brussels sprouts. You can have your Brussels sprouts. But what do I do? You can have your Brussels sprouts. I'm going to have my corn. So you end up making two separate vegetables for the, for the meal, right? So you defer. You're like, that's what you want. You can have it. There's a big difference between saying, I defer that and saying, you know what? You want Brussels sprouts? I want Brussels sprouts as well. Now, we're not there yet. We're not there yet. Thing. <laughs> we're working on it. We're working on it. We're getting better. For example, just a couple of weeks or months ago, we were going out for supper with some friends, and I sent them a text. I said, where do you want to go tonight? And I said, hey, how about we go to this queen place down here on 10th Street? Now, I would have much rather been at the Pizza Inn. But I said, hey, let's go here. I want to go there. So we went there. And it, wasn't, it actually was good. So the next time I said, let's go there again. So we've gone there twice. Because you have to learn to say to someone else, you can't just have what you want. I want what you want. That's true relationship. You want to have a healthy relationship. You want to have spiritual vitality. It's not just saying, well, they can have what they want. No, no. I want what they want because I'm caring for them. So we need to learn to prefer others for the sake of others. So moving forward, we're going to gather to praise God. We're going to provide two different avenues to praise God. And you as an individual, you need to go somewhere where you can give praise with excitement and with passion. And as you minister to people outside of King of Glory, as you're the front door, you've got to determine what's the best next step for this person. It might be for, to say to them, hey, this Bible teaching church, you're going to fit in great because they've got, a, they've got a group for this type of people. And if we don't offer that group, take them to the other place. In 100 years, there's not going to be a king of glory. There will not be a king of glory in 100 years. And guess what? There will be a kingdom of God in 100 years. And that's where we need to have people with us is in the kingdom of God. While we've been busy arguing about how we're going to praise God, people have been really busy dying in our city and in our community. This last week at 11.15 p.m., my chaplain pager went off on Tuesday night. It's never a test when it goes off at 11.15 at night. Answered the phone call. I said, Sergeant said, meet you here at this address. Drove over there, stepped out of the car, and the sergeant says, 19-year-old committed suicide from this city over here. His mother is in here, his stepdad is in here, and his brother is in here. I need you to go in there and tell him. Walk in, deliver, deliver the news. Next, all that the next message was was simply this. God's forgot him. God's forgot him. 30 minutes in a row of just this God's forgot him. God's forgot him. Because suicide's a tough, tough, tough issue. It's a tough, tough theological issue of understanding what happens when somebody commits suicide. So we're talking about how, you know, God, we have a much bigger God than just a one instance. That God is bigger than mental illness. 
God is, is bigger than depression and anxiety, that forgiveness isn't just about having every little thing forgiven. God's way bigger than, than all of that. But as we were talking, oh, God, we've forgotten. And then I talk to him, and right before I leave, I always say, hey, do you have a rabbi I can call? Do you have a priest I can call? Do you have a pastor I can call? Ask me, hey, got a rabbi, got a priest, got a pastor I can call. They've forgotten us. They've forgotten us. Okay, this family, this individual's never stepping in the door inside King of Glory. Do you, do you know why they're not here? They're not here because we have drums on Sunday morning or a piano on Sunday morning. They're not here because the service is too fast or too slow. That has nothing to do with it at all. They're not here because there's no front door in their life. They're not at any church because there's no front door in their life. So, so what if we were the front door for them in our workplaces and in our neighborhoods? I know for a fact that the mother who I delivered the news to, the mother works at a, at a corporation here in this city. I know Christians work at that corporation. I know personally Christians that work at that corporation. It appears as though none of those Christians are a front door. We're busy arguing about how we're going to praise. And people are dying because they're not giving praise. We're busy arguing about how we're going to praise when people are not going to be able to praise for eternity because they didn't praise today. There are no simple answers to lots of this stuff. But there is one overarching passion, and that is to praise God. To say, God, you are worthy of all honor. God, you are awesome. That's what we're going to do every Sunday, is we're going to gather together and declare the greatness of God in two different styles. And you may end up somewhere else declaring the greatness of God, and that's just fine. We're going to declare the greatness of God every week. And then we're going to be a front door during the week, saying, how can I love my neighbor? How can I love my coworker?" And hopefully that front door opens at some point where someone would come and join us to give God praise. If I asked you today, when do you feel really alive? I think all of us would answer that question differently today. When do you feel really alive? Some would say, when I'm on the golf course. Some would say, when I'm working that business deal. Some would say, when I'm coaching my kids' sporting team. Some would say, when I'm just sitting at home enjoying a meal with my family, I feel really alive. According to the scriptures, we're really alive when we're bringing praise to God because then we're acknowledging that He's God and we're not. And we're actually being who we were created to be, created beings. We are alive when we're praising God. There's a lot of people who are not alive today because they're not praising God. Let's gather together every week and give God praise so that we can be out in this community, in the city, being alive, encouraging, blessing others so that they too might praise God and come alive.
pretty simple. Why am I here today? I'm not paid to be here, and I'm being honest. (laughs) I'm here for one purpose. Praise God. My chief job as your pastor is this, to be the chief worship leader. Every week, I prepare to lead us in giving God praise. That's why I'm here. And I pray next week when I say, why are you here? You could say, I'm here to praise God. Let's gather together and give God praise. Let's pray. Father God, creator of all that is good, Lord, thank you for your kindness this morning. Lord, this has been a tough issue. There's been a lot of stress, Lord, about how we should sing, what we should do during our service. God, right now, on behalf of this congregation, I lay it at your feet, God, and I say we are done. And Lord, I ask in the name of Jesus that the Holy Spirit would keep us true now to our focus on bringing you praise. And so, Lord, I ask now that you personally administer to each person in this room, giving them a passion for praise. And I pray, Lord, that you'd lead them to a gathering where they can gather with excitement and give you praise. God, we thank you. We say you are awesome. You are worthy of greatness. Now, God, we also this morning we pray, Lord, for that person that's not praising you, that's in our sphere of influence. Pray for that family that today feels forgotten. God, would you work a miracle? God, would you work a miracle and put a front door in their life this next week? God, would you work a miracle and put someone at our door this next week where we could be a front door? God, forgive us when the door's been closed. And now, Lord, renew us to go out and be your front door. God, thank you for who you are. Thank you for what you've done. Thank you for your love. We give you all of the praise. In Jesus' name, amen.